Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Amber Hurdle was a teen mum who has gone on to become an award-winning, high-achieving businesswoman. She is the CEO of a company, Amber Hurdle Consulting, which is a talent-optimizing firm that cleverly combines some of the principles of science and marketing to help improve her clients' brands. Her three-point strategy looks at helping her clients to develop and improve personal branding, employer branding, and business branding. Amber Hurdle, as I said to you before this show started today, apart from thank you so much for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast, this is probably the most impressive CV I've ever seen in the near two years that we've been running this podcast. Well, I appreciate that feedback. Um, if you're having a bad week, I know that you need to go on the show and <laughs> be encouraged by you. That's very kind of you to say. Thank you. Well, it's, uh, I'm particularly pleased to have you on the show because of all that you stand for, all that you've achieved. You know, we often have people, uh, they're all fabulous guests, Amber, but many of them, you know, have achieved extraordinary success. And sometimes people kind of look at them and think, I'm not sure I'm capable of doing that. But I'm particularly interested to talk to you today because you've kind of experienced everything, really. Life has to sh throw at you in a very short space of time. So if you don't mind, let's start with the obvious question, which is about your background and I guess your life experiences that led you to setting up your own company. Sure. Um, I, I, I'm going to get in the Wayback Machine because I have to give credit to the tougher time in life. And I have to look back to what being a teen mom taught me and to just try to encapsulate it with as much brevity as possible. When you start your adult life behind the eight ball, you have to figure things out very quickly in order to just literally survive. So what I realized very early on, and I didn't have any language like personal brand or anything like that. But what I realized is there are certain things about me that kind of put me ahead of, of the pack and that my bosses or mentors or people in my life responded to me for some reason in a different way than my peers or maybe my competitors. And so I was able to pick up more shifts at the restaurant where I, you know, my third job, and I was able to get jobs that I necessarily wasn't qualified for. Um, and so I started really studying what that might be. And, and again, let's just go back to at this point, I'm probably like 19 years old when I start getting a clue. And um, and there was no beautiful personal development system that I went through. It was just very school of hard knocks. Um, and so I started like trying to put forward those attributes that I thought people really liked about me. And then when I was about 21, I had a fantastic boss. She's still a friend of mine to this day. I still call her my work mom. And, um, and she taught me about professional development. So she gave me my first disc profile assessment and hmm. took me to conferences. And, and I started learning about things like networking and how important 
you know, your, your, the people you surround yourself, how important that is to your own, um, success and, and learning about yourself. And so, um, that became a huge part of my life. And, um, and so when I realized that you can find out for yourself, what you're most spectacular at, I started going down that path professionally and eventually went back to college to get my public relations degree. So I got a piece of paper saying that I could do the thing that I was currently doing, um, had tons of support around that and, um, and then came out realizing that, yes, I can deal with media. Yes, I can do marketing, I have a marketing minor and organizational communication minor. Yes, I can do all those external things. And I've had to in my career, but what I really love, what I really love about PR and branding is that internal public. And that could look like fans, that could look like employees, that could look like members, that could look like um, alumni. I mean, there's these internal publics that are already bought into your brand, but if you could really harness that power, it impacts the external brand in extraordinary ways. So that's probably way longer than I meant it to be, but I, I just, I always have to go back to, it starts within and then it can bubble out. That was a, that was a great, great answer. No, we don't, we do not mind you expanding on that point at all. Uh, you talked about brevity, but it needed that explanation for you to, to share um, as expertly as you did. So forgive me for asking this question, Amber, but what exactly is a talent optimizing company? Because there's lots of us have never heard of one of those. Yes, it's a new buzz term, actually. <laughs> it's own little blue ocean strategy that um, actually the predictive index coined. Um, and the predictive index is one of many tools that I use. I firmly believe in uniting science and branding in order to genuinely optimize your talent and ultimately your brand. So when we talk about talent optimization, it is harvesting and maximizing the best within your human capital. So what is my human capital potential? And then how do I identify what our business strategy is? And of course, we can get into a whole conversation around what that looks like. And then how do I mobilize my human capital in order to connect my people strategy to my business strategy? And so that that goes everywhere from recruiting to interviewing to onboarding, performance management, team dynamic. Um, one-to-one conversations, conflict resolution, succession planning, high potential uh, feedback and, and training. I mean, that talent optimization is is really amping up what you have existing in your company when it comes to human capital. Do you think, Amber, that every one of us has uh, innate abilities that that human capital, as you mentioned, do we all have something within that we can exploit to our advantage? Because many of us find it difficult to discover or or see or feel that human capital that you speak of. Do we all have it, do you think? Yes, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I'm a deeply spiritual person. And I believe beyond all certainty that we're all put on this planet to serve other people and we all have innate gifts and that allows us and affords us to do that in a deeply meaningful way. And if you can figure out what that is and then apply it where we spend the majority of our time, which is work, then you actually get to have a fulfilling and rewarding life. But if we're inward focused and we're selfish and we don't share our gifts, I think that's when you start dealing with depression and, and just a, a lack of enthusiasm about life. Mm. Now you are, you know, you as a teen mom, 
uh, epitomize uh, all that's great about young people. Forgive me. For, I don't want that to sound patronizing at all. I'm 51, so I can kind of get away with it. Um, but how, I mean, I find it extraordinary and kudos to you, Amber, that you have not allowed parenthood to get in the way of your dreams and objectives and ambitions. So to all mums out there, you know, I think Amber, and I'd like some words from you on this, Amber, how do you stop that, uh, the preconceived idea that just because you become a mum, you know, you suddenly become ambitionless, you know, is it possible to do two things at the same time? 1000%. And to this very morning, it is a constant struggle. I told my husband upon waking up that nothing stresses me out more than when one of my babies is not okay, or if there's anything that's going on in their life. So if you think about all the just passion that you bring to the business world, you you have that same amount. And then some for the people that you carried in your womb and put into the world. Mm -hmm. But I think at a certain point, you have to say, just like your employees or the, 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 the business outcomes, that's not completely in your control. Neither are your children. So for me as a professional mom, I have found, especially doing what I do, I have found that those same gifts that bring me success in the professional world also bring me success with my children. And I'm not a bake the cookies and snuggle with you because you've had a bad day kind of mom. I mean, I'm just not. And but I am a I will go to the mat for you and I will, you know, savagely <laughs> defend you and and, you know, all the same things that make me successful. And I'm also going to hold you accountable. And I'm also going to ask you, I say it all the time. I don't expect you to be the best. I expect you to be your best. And I just look at my role as a mom to provide a safe environment to um, to teach and educate and mentor and be a, a grand example so that when my kids and, and I have a stepdaughter and a, and a daughter and they're both adults, once they hit 18 and they get to adulthood, I've done everything I could to prepare them to be all that they can be once they're on their own. Wow. So what we're, what we're hearing from you is, I mean, we're not encouraging all the listeners out there to, to suddenly become parents. Uh, as a way of a kind of training ground for success in business. But what we are saying is that there are direct parallels between success in parenthood and success in business because the same sorts of disciplines apply. Is, is that fair? That's fair. And, you know, I just look at, you know, and I never pick on men. I have like the world's best dad. I have a fantastic husband, three brothers and a son. Like I, I just, men for centuries have been able to be a father and also be insanely professional and, um, and, and committed to their career and nobody bats an eyelash at that. So as we evolve as a society and things get a little more balanced in terms of responsibilities and expectations and things like that, I think that it, it, it behooves women to start to take the cape off and to stop trying to be savior to the world and realize that what they bring to all of their relationships is valuable and should be acknowledged as a a valuable way for them to contribute to society. Mm. I also want to mention one other word that you touched on earlier, and that was the word mobilize. So what we often find, Amber, and and again, you know, given your experience, I suppose your expert, uh, the expert go-to person to ask this question, and that is how do people mobilize themselves? So, okay, they, they discover their human capital. They know what they're about. They know what their passion is. They know what they're going to be good at and what they're going to enjoy, what 
gets them up in the morning. They have a, a sort of a strategy, presumably with your help. How do people mobilize? Because that's one of the things we often see, that inertia, that unwillingness to move forward. Great idea, but it never gets off the ground. You know, are there any kind of tips, techniques? Is there a mantra by which you uh, that help you get from A to B or you help your clients get from A to B? I'm all about environment. And so once you have identified your own greatness, when you can see your what what brings the most value, then you can see and harvest the greatness in others. And when you really project that personal brand, and when I say personal brand, I just mean your your reputation. Like that's really all that is. Then you can start attracting the right people and the right opportunities. But in as much that you're attracting the right people, that right network, the right people who are going to cheer you on or perhaps introduce you to someone or maybe give you some tools or resources that you wouldn't otherwise have, maybe have learned some hard lessons that maybe you don't have to learn and fall flat on your face because they can share those experiences with you. And also those opportunities like, okay, I'm raising my hand or I'm obviously the visible person for this particular project or this particular job or, you know, whatever that looks like, a trip that you might get to go on that opens up new horizons. When you're really clear about who you are, then other people will start to relate to that. Mm. And you have to say no to people. You have to say no to opportunities. And, you know, I say this a lot to girlfriends who are piddling around with men who might be just filling their dance card, but they're not, you know, anything <laughs> that they need to be messing with long term. And I'm just like, you know, you, you've got this guy on your arm. Now all the right guys can't, they don't have an opportunity to even get to know you. And, and, and that's just kind of like a, a quick little story that I believe, whether that's your job or whether that's friendships, if, if your space is full of what's not right for you, there's no room to bring in and hold on to and, and nourish what is what is good for you. Gosh, I wish I'd uh, had this conversation with you about 35 years ago. Um, <laughs> right? yeah, and I love the expression piddling. I'm, I'm sure that's British. Where did you get that one from? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> well, a, a point, point, point very well taken, which is sometimes if you kind of overcrowd your life with the things that you kind of know deep down you shouldn't have they just mess up the opportunities for new things to happen so um, that's a that's a big takeaway um the the business that you run we now know what uh, a talent optimization company is it seems to me from the research i've done and i have done a lot of research by the way i not i don't want i don't want to give the impression i've been stalking you or anything but i do want to we make you aware really stockable so <laughs> so i want you to know that i have done some deep dive research and it seems to me that uh, a lot of the work you do is based on science, analytics. How would you explain to all of us listening how this works in layman's terms, if that's possible? Absolutely possible. I am. Listen, I got an, a passing grade. I actually got an A in, in college chemistry when I was failing because I handed my professor a dozen donuts when I turned in my final. I am not a science nerd by nature. I am a people person. I am a, a human behavior person. And the science helps me articulate um, and helps me create a case, just like when we do marketing analytics and we, we do um, when we try to understand, um, you know, who our ideal customer is. And, and we do all kinds of research around that billions of dollars every year. And then we don't do the same thing to understand our, our talent pool. So just the, you know, the, I, I do use a few tools, but the, the foundational one that I use, it 
it measures what your innate needs are in a work environment. And if we can understand what you need in a work environment, then we can start to predict what drives your behavior and we can predict your behavior. So you can look at behavior and not be able to predict what the needs are. That doesn't work. So 70 years ago, this science was created in, in the military and it, and it very quickly spread into the public sector. And, um, and we're still using it today. The science is still being validated today. And so what that looks like, let's just say from a hiring perspective, mm. you know what, let me just make it even easier. Let me tell my, my quick little story. I say quick again, let's see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was 19 years old. We've already established that I was desperate and a single mom and, um, and broke, right? And I had the opportunity because of my network, because of people I knew to have a very good paying job at a factory near where I lived, where people waited years to have the opportunity to work. So I immediately got a position. I did not get put on to third shift, not even second shift. I got put on to first shift, which was not heard of. You could already see people giving me the side eye of how did this happen? And then not only did I get the first shift, but I also got put into refurbishing, which is apparently was the most push, easy. You can get off the line and use the restroom if you wanted to. You didn't halt production. You didn't have to get permission. So everything was going for me. I lasted about two weeks because my job every single day was to unscrew and screw something into a television from about seven o'clock in the morning till about four o'clock in the afternoon. Now, my needs in a work environment is, it's a pretty loud and, and widespread pattern that I have because we measure everybody on a pattern and we won't get into that because listeners can't visually see anything. But I need a lot of independence. I like my own ideas. I need to be in leadership. I like to be around people. I like to be social. I like to spitball and have ideas be kind of fleshed out through communication. I'm fast paced. I like competing priorities. I need every day to look different. And honestly, I need every day to look different throughout different parts of the day. And when I look at a rule book, I kind of see it more as a suggestion book, unless I'm going to break a law or lose a lot of money. I kind of see it more as a guideline. Now, put a personality like that, standing still, not allowed to talk to anyone, unscrewing a screw and screwing it back in for eight to nine hours a day. How do you think that's going to work? The challenge there is I was desperate. I needed that money. I needed the stability of the job. I needed the benefits. I needed the fact that they would probably pay for my college if I stuck it out long enough. All the things were right, but what was wrong was that it was not a behavioral match. I could do the job. My resume said I could do the job. My interview went well. I was a, a cultural match. My interests were there, but it's not about can you do, do the job? It's about will you do the job and will you do it well over a prolonged period of time? I'm, I'm going to re-listen to this podcast many times over because I can't write these notes quickly enough. Um, <laughs> what, did, uh, what did being a teenage mum... No, let me ask you another question first, just because we're on the subject and it flows fairly naturally because there's loads of questions now floating around in my mind. And I've got to try and articulate these in the best way I can. Um, so, you know, many of us, me included, we are... Uh, we are leaders of people. And uh, one of the biggest challenges for us as leaders of people, Amber, is that recruiting the right people based on everything you've just said is one of the, the biggest challenges that we have. So what makes recruiting talent difficult in today's job market and why? 
Well, first of all, there's a ginormous talent gap because you have droves of baby boomers retiring every day and you don't have enough Gen Xers to backfill some of those more senior positions. And then you have millennials, bless their hearts, as we say in the South and the United <laughs> States. If they can't help it. They're, they just haven't been on the planet long enough. And we snub our noses at them and, and we blame them for all kinds of things that they just can't help. And so there's about a 14 year gap in our talent. And so you have these people coming in with skinny resumes, meaning they don't have a lot of beef. They don't have a lot of experience and they're having to fill positions that they're not quite ready for. So if you know that they're, we measure Amber Hurl Consulting, we measure a candidate on their head, their heart and their briefcase. And so that briefcase right now is not heavy enough for this job. So we know that you don't have the experience. Now we're going to measure the heart through interview techniques and behavioral interviews and cognitive interviews. And we're going to ask all the right questions to see if you're a cultural fit. What are your interests? What are your passions? Are you a, a match for our culture? What are your values? Um, and then we're going to look at the head. And so that's where these behavioral assessments come in extremely useful is to understand, okay, well, you know, maybe they don't have the interview or they, I apologize, they don't have the resume for this, but we know that they're wired to do the job. And then I can one up that and give them a cognitive assessment, which is not an IQ test that doesn't measure how smart you are. It measures how quickly can you ramp up? How quickly can you adapt to an evolving, changing environment or to new ideas? And so if I look at you and you're a fantastic, inter you know, we had a wonderful interview. I know your heart matches our heart and your resume is a little light. So maybe your, your suit, your briefcase isn't where we need it to be. But once I measure your head and I can see your behavioral match and that you can ramp up quickly, now I can throw you into something with enough scientific data to say you're going to be successful despite not quite having the kind of experience that I need you to have otherwise. So why... Why then does the person that you interviewed, Amber, <laughs> end up seeming like a totally different person once they get into the job? And we've all been because, there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been there. You, you, you interview somebody, you're high-fiving them. You know, they went to the same college as you. You just think they're great. You have a dog, they have a dog. Everything's great. They're awesome. And then day 91, they show up and you're like, who are you? <laughs> what happened? And that's, again, just not understanding that they showed well for the interview and they and we're all inherently this way. Naturally, um, we want to show up the way that you need us to show up. People flex. And that's why, again, it's so important to understand yourself and to just claim your authenticity. And I know that's kind of an overused buzzword, but I believe it. And and if people don't want to lose the opportunity, not understanding that it's not a fit. And so mm -hmm. they're going to show up to the interview being whoever it is that you, your hopes, dreams, and aspirations need them to be. Mm. And then they get in the job like I did and it doesn't work. And so if we're just measuring on the briefcase, if we're just measuring on the heart and we're not measuring, can this person do the job or rather will this person do the job and will they do it well over time? And what is their cognitive ability? We're, we're really missing the boat. And mm. then the person who's showing up in the interview isn't necessarily going to be the person once they get all settled in and they can't fake it anymore. And now they're showing their true colors, which is not wrong. It's just not right for that role. That yeah. fit to hire is what really trips people up. So using um, data, data, as I guess some Americans would say, 
it, you know, it may seem intimidating to not so tech savvy people like me as a classic Gen X. Um, what exactly, Amber, is people data? People data is just, uh, it, it is um, information uh, that helps you better understand the people in your organization. And that can be everything um, from just a homegrown exit interview. When somebody says, I left because my boss is a tool, that's data. <laughs> if, I mean, and that happens. That's the number one people, that's the number one reason people leave their job is they, they had a terrible boss. Mm. Um, it could be that um, maybe you do a quick survey of, you know, smiley face, uh, straight face, sad face. How are you feeling this week? That's data. That is telling you the pulse of your team and how they're feeling about their work environment. Um, or you can be fancy pants and you can use assessments. And, and I use that. I've, I'm a very intuitive person. And typically I can walk into a room and I can pretty much size up most people very, very quickly. I've been doing it a long time. And I think that's just one of my innate gifts. But when I walk into a C-suite and I'm a 40-year-old female, I'm not going to be like, just trust me. I feel it. Mm. <laughs> you know, that doesn't work. Mm. But when I show them the data that this is what your work, this is, this team is wired this way. When we're talking about the different drives of your team and where your business strategy is right now and what the environment is in your business, because where business is today could be ridiculously different than even five years from now. We might be a high growth company right now. And five years from now, we might need more stabilizing profiles in our in our group. But when I could go in there and show them scientifically that this is what's happening in your organization with your people, and I can say, here is the role that you're hiring for this very important position that could probably cost you, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars if you get it wrong. This is why this person is the best fit for this. Now that's a whole different conversation. We're not just going on our gut. We're we're going on carefully calculated science. And and I hear you when you say, oh, it's intimidating. Data is scary. But when you use the right tools, and one of the reasons why I love using the predictive index is because it's the easy button. It has It'll show you somebody's pattern. It will tell you. I mean, I can I can nerd out all day long and be like, well, I'm A over C, so I'm more proactive than reactive. And we could talk about those things. But it's my job to know. It's not a leader's job to know. It's the leader's job to GSD at work. They can have a tool where they can log in and be like, oh, OK, I see. When I manage this person, I'm going to use this management guide. This person missed the boat and I'm going to have to have a pitching conversation with them. But I've got this document that says, here's how I need to talk to this person in order to meet them where they are and to encourage and motivate them in a way that's meaningful to them. Not how I want to be communicated with because I'm different than this person. And so it just, it breaks everything down in a way that makes it actionable in the daily operations. Good answer. Very good answer. Um, I, I can't let this podcast end, Amber. We do have another couple of questions, but one that I, I do need to ask you simply because we have an expert in her field, not just in terms of business, but obviously your your life as a mum, uh, particularly as a teenage mum. What advice would you give to uh, to, to young mums who maybe fell out of the university or educational system, uh, had dreams of getting their own career or venturing off uh, into a you know the, the world of business, didn't quite get there, got stuck on first base? Um, what what confidence boosting advice? What 
what words of wisdom would you give to those young mums out there to take them away from that sense of inertia, inevitability, to help them get to where they might otherwise want to get to? Well, I'll turn it inward and I'll just say this to myself and I encourage any mom listening to have this conversation with yourself. I am not a mom. I am Amber and Amber. One of the roles she plays in life is mom. I'm not a wife. I'm Amber and Amber tries her best to be as great of a wife as she is a mom. I am not an employee. I'm not a CEO. I am Amber. And all of these areas of my life are a personification of my gifts. And so the thing that I had to learn and I'm paper certified ADD and I'm, you know, I'm, if you looked at my profile, you'd be like, wow, you're a total train wreck to be able to have <laughs> this amount of systematizing in your world. But I call it my bubble wrap. Um, I bubble wrap the areas of my life where I need a little extra help. And so I'm very systematized in, in my, in my mothering and, you know, everything's on the calendar. I, I lunch prep on Sundays. I plan out my menu. I'm psychotic about these things so that I set myself up for success because if I'm just trying to wing it in any year of my life, I'm going to fail. So if you want it bad enough, then you need to figure out who you are first and foremost. And then you need to understand what do I need in order to not put myself in a corner and say, this is what my reality is. What do you need in order to flourish in every area of your life that's going to make you feel like a whole human being and, and the person that you're put on this planet to be? Wow. There's, all, there's a whole shopping trolley of information coming from you today, Amber. I wish this could go on for an hour and a half rather than just half an hour. Um, so how do people listening, and there's a great number of them, how do they get hold of you, find out more about what you do, connect on social media? Uh, how do we get hold of you? How do we find out about Amber Hurdle? Sure. Um, well, I am on all social. So you could go to amberhurdle.com and, um, and just find all of my social handles there. Um, you can listen to the previous podcast. We're about to start the Velvet Machete branding podcast where we do connect the personal brand, the employer brand and the business brand. Um, and then you can also go to amberhurl.com forward slash unite science and branding, all one word, no dashes or anything. Amberhurl.com forward slash unite science and branding. And we've got an ebook with just a tremendous amount of resources and um, we, we cite what, what we found. It's not just Amber's opinion advice, although there's a little bit of that peppered in. It's really how you can leverage data and then also approach your workforce and your internal publics um, in the same way that you would approach your customers or as you try to acquire customers. So Fabulous. Putting those branding principles. Fabulous. Thank you. I'm not even going to ask you where the words velvet machete come from. That maybe we'll have to wait for another day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's clearly something going on in your mind when you came out with that one. So um, <laughs> final question, Amber, uh, if you don't mind. So let's imagine um, that, uh, you know, one of your children in, in the future comes and jumps on, up onto mum's knee and says, OK, mum, you know, you, you've been my role model these years. You're Amber Hurdle. You're a mum. You're a businesswoman. You're a wife. You're all these great things. But, you know, can you help me disseminate all of life's challenges with a couple of words of wisdom if you, if you could encapsulate everything that you know based on your experience in life and business today, Amber, looking back, what one piece of advice would you give to that young child? Enroll in U University. 
I want you to understand yourself. I want you to understand yourself, um, your, your behavioral drives. I want to know how you best influence. I want to know what kind of nutrition works for you, not for your best friend. I want to know what kind of physical activity works for you, not your, your friend. I want you to, um, understand your spiritual preferences and your relational preferences. I need you to understand yourself so well that when you go out into this big, bad, scary world that tells you who they all think you need to be, you can stand up against that, live in your truth and live a fulfilling life. Brilliantly put. Brilliantly put. Amber Hurdle, what can I say? Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, cool. Apologies for the any background noise, but that's because we are speaking together transatlantically today. But um, for all those listening, on behalf of everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know you're a very busy lady with lots going on, but you found the time and you've shared some pearls of wisdom, which we much appreciate. So Amber Hurdle, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, what can I say? Thank you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today. And Amber Hurdle, what, a, what an absolute joy that lady is. And, you know, a, such a credit to business women and mothers out there. So to Amber Hurdle, thank you very much. Each week, remember, we have a new guest joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or indeed overcoming life challenges. So please make sure you subscribe. Follow us on social media, Sandra's podcast. Don't forget, same on all channels. And if you want to email us, it's the same old email address. Hello at sandrospodcast.com. Keep the iTunes review, uh, reviews coming. And we look forward to speaking to you this time next week. Goodbye for now.